Bob Roberts is yet another of that faction that lives to destroy whatever good came out of the 60s. To rewrite the history of that important period. A period where the American people actually were informed and aware and realized that they had a voice. They demanded that a war end. Bob Roberts is Nixon, only he's shrewder. More complicated, this Bob Roberts. Now, here is a man who has adopted the persona and mindset of the free-thinking rebel and turned it on itself. The rebel conservative. <laughs> that is deviant brilliance. What a Machiavellian poser. This land is my land. This land is our land. You gotta be proud to be in the land of the free. This land was made for us. This land was made for me. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. I am Linton once again, and we are going to be looking at another one of our political films uh, right here, right before the election. So we looked at A Face in the Crowd, the Andy Griffith film, A Face in the Crowd, and we've got something that kind of works as a good companion piece. I didn't initially think of them that way, but uh, our next film is Bob Roberts. So I'll talk about that in a moment, but first off, let's introduce our panel for this one. We have returning from a face in the crowd, uh, our political expert extraordinaire, Dusty. Hey there, everyone. We also have Matt, another political expert extraordinaire. Hi, happy to be here. And we have Jack. Cool, I was wondering what you're gonna say about me and that's pretty accurate, I'll take it. No, Jack is uh, is a longtime film fan, and she's been on a few of ours so far. Um, was Winnie the Pooh and Strings, mm -hmm. your favorite mm -hmm. film ever, Strings. <laughs> and I think that's it so far, right? But uh, So far. Okay. All right. So, yeah, so we are looking at Bob Roberts, and it actually, like I said, it pairs pretty well with A Face in the Crowd because A Face in the Crowd dealt with kind of a larger-than-life guy who became a political figure through the course of the film and he was sort of like a country folk artist to some degree and bob roberts focuses on a conservative country folk more, more folk leaning artist who you know gets gets very political uh, i mean he's he's political at the onset of the movie so it, it kind of starts closer to the end than a face in the crowd does but bob roberts is a 1992 film that was written directed and written directed by and starring Tim Robbins. It originated as a short skit on SNL. And Tim Robbins, I read, had been trying to get it funded for about six years, get it made funded and made for about six years up to when it was released in 1992. It made 4.5 million, but I didn't see how much it was budgeted at. I doubt. It had a huge budget based on uh, what goes on in the movie. It seems like it would be pretty low budget, but I would it'd be hard to tell if the 4.5 million was profitable or breaking even or unprofitable. I mean, I would lean toward this movie, you know, almost certainly didn't make much. 
uh, off of its budget. And let's see. So the, the focus of the film is that Bob Roberts is a conservative folk singer and he sings, we'll, we'll definitely dig into the songs coming up, but he, he sings folk songs from a conservative point of view. So there's some very unusual kind of uh, music that we are subjected to throughout the film. And he is entering into the Pennsylvania senatorial contest against a Democratic incumbent. And we are following a British documentary film crew in a cinema verite style that is about Bob Roberts' attempt to win the Senate seat. And so we are watching him from like kind of midway through the campaign all the way through past election day. And before I open things up, the only thing uh, I will add is that if you've not seen this movie, it has everyone in the planet in it that you've ever heard of. There are a ton of celebrity cameos in small roles as a lot of like newscasters and stuff, including Susan Sarandon, Helen Hunt. There's a lot of people that Tim Robbins knew and was friends with. But uh, aside from Tim Robbins, Alan Rickman has a sizable role. Ray Wise from Twin Peaks, who was uh, Leland Palmer in Twin Peaks, has a significant role. Jack Black's first film role is Bob Roberts. Uh, John Cusack has a small part. The writer and sometimes actor Gore Vidal is in it. David Strathairn, the excellent David Strathairn, shows up. And Lynn Thigpen, who was the chief from Carmen Sandiego, shows up and has a pretty awesome that's how i knew that person yeah. okay thank she, you she, i looked her up because she i have seen her in a few other movies but it's it's rare she wasn't in a whole lot oh, of films right yeah yeah so the the chief from carmen san diego shows up and has uh has a couple really solid scenes early in the film totally. and then um but the main person i would say that's really cool to see in this film and i, I I've, I've seen this years ago so i knew this but uh for anyone coming to it new Giancarlo Esposito, who is everyone now knows as uh, Gus Fring from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, yeah. but he yeah. has had a lengthy career in film and television. And this was right around the same time that he was bugging out in Do the Right Thing. And he was in a handful of other movies in like late 80s, early 90s. But this is a pretty sizable role for him. And uh, he's fucking excellent, as he always is. And he is so dynamically different if all you know him from mostly is like Gus Fring and from like Moff Gideon or whatever he's called in uh the Mandalorian if you just know him as like the cold remorseless guy he's so different in this he I mean if you've seen him as bugging out he plays a very similar character to his character as bugging out in um do the right thing but yeah he's he's energetic he's excitable he's on edge he's driven and like wanting justice so he's he's a very different character from from gus fring and uh and his cold ruthlessness okay so yes everyone on the planet is in this movie and i say that it's a it's a pretty good movie and we will dig into that but also you know we're obviously looking at this for its political ramifications right here before the election because i think it has some interesting things in regards to current politics, also the politics of when it came out in 1992, and then the politics in between of some things that it may well have predicted or seen coming. Okay, so that is my spiel on Bob Roberts. We will open the floor to whoever wants to go. What do we think? 
did you okay so you mentioned the actor parade that kind of happens in this movie uh did you read about why that was why they had all these like big names in these tiny roles um i i saw that tim robbins like got his friends connected uh i the only thing i noticed was alan rickman helped fund it with his own personal money which i thought was pretty cool but That's cool I didn't catch that. What I what I read was that him signing on saved the movie. Like basically he uh, Tim Robbins was trying and trying and trying to get this made. And the studio kept saying, well, you need to have somebody bigger in it. You need to have somebody bigger in it. So he kept getting these stars to sign on. But it was really Alan Rickman who was coming off of the Die Hard thing. You know, have you heard of that one? That should be on this show at some point. You know, uh, I'm a fan, but he was really big. He was also read the right off of uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves right before that. So he was I'm the... sorry. What's that? Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know what it is. Okay. Jeez, Linton. <laughs> anyway, so uh, he loved the script and signed on, and that kind of is what helped make the movie, and that's why his role... Like, when I first saw him, I actually wrote in my notes his name in all caps with five question marks after it, because I had no idea, because I was not familiar with this movie at all before uh, you suggested watching it. So that was a real surprise to me. And it, but it made sense. I was like, wait, I know this newscaster. I know this newscaster. I know this newscaster. It was just like famous person after famous person. James Spader was a real surprise because I mostly know him from The Office. And I was like, oh, look at look at this little baby. He's so little. And he's so James Spader, uh, Peter Gallagher is another newscaster yeah. who's been yeah. in a bunch of stuff. Helen and Hunt. Helen Hunt, Fred Ward, who was from yeah. the Tremors films and many other things. <laughs> yeah. uh, so those are some of the newscasters I caught. I'm yeah. glad we got right off to the start, the true heart of the movie, and that was Spader's performance as the newscaster. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. Absolutely. I thought he was just, he carried the whole movie. Yeah. The, what, five minutes he was in it? <laughs> I yeah. will say about, um, about Rickman, um fantastic performance just mm -hmm. as always with him um would have loved to see more of him in this movie he's this kind of the this kind of dark political operative figure um it's alluded to that he has ties to the cia and um you know multiple iran contra hearings um you know going back uh this this movie is very well much steeped in the issues of the 90 early late 80s and early 90s but rickman is just fantastic yeah he really i think he made the best choice when it comes to a british person trying to do an american accent that he just went as big <laughs> as humanly possible for his very first line and at least from there on out you're like oh okay you're a character from veep you're you're a person who definitely yeah. exists but kind of sounds like they don't yeah, I think it's completely. basically the same accent that he uses for um, uh, Galaxy Quest, isn't it? Because <laughs> you, Dusty, oh, you, this... you had mentioned the accent because it never stood out to me. So I was listening in particular, and I think in Galaxy Quest, he's playing an American. Uh, and I, I think he has a similar kind of, uh, you know, similar sound, but... I think this one has more of a sub. There's a hint of a Southern twang to it. Yeah, I was going to say, he's kind of got this Langley, Virginia sort of tone that comes out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One thing I really like uh, on a rewatch, I noticed with the character is that he hates the camera, that yeah. there are different points in the movie. Because like, as Decker said, uh, as, as Matt said, he has been presented as like a, a CIA operative or he's in bed with the CIA in, in various ways. And so he, he's definitely 
very wary of being on camera for this documentary film. But yeah, there's times where he like gives the camera side eye. He's trying to avoid the camera. And in a, one of the very first scenes of the movie, he's standing next to, I think it's Ray Weiss, Ray Weiss or Bob Roberts. I can't remember, but he's standing there and right. he just has this like, like weird smile on his face and just like staring dead eyed in the camera. Like it's, it's like Ricky Bobby. Like, I, I don't know what to do with my hands. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like, I, it, it's a good acting choice of, he feels uncomfortable in front of it, but he also doesn't trust it because he knows that, you know, it could end up exposing him for various crimes and things. Absolutely. Yeah. He was perfect. It was a perfect cast. Very surprising, but a delight. Um, Another piece, just real quick, I want to get this in before we get into the kind of the more heavier stuff. Did anybody notice that uh, Bob Roberts, his full name obviously is Robert Robert. Uh, did you notice he was a junior? He's Robert Robert Jr. So well, his father, also named up. Robert Robert, is like, here, now you will also be Robert Robert. I'm like, who would do this to their child? Who would do this again? This is horrible. This is like a boy named Sue situation. It's terrible. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice. I did notice that he was Robert Roberts Jr. Um, I thought that just adds to the gusto of the character. Absolutely. Ugh, this movie. Okay, so it was. My roommate uh, asked me uh, after I finished it. She's like, "Oh, so what? What was? What was the movie like? What's it?" what kind of movie is it? And I struggled to explain. I was like, okay, so it is a satire for sure, which often means comedy, but I don't know if I would quite label this as a comedy. I mean, it is, it's funny, but it's maybe it was funnier then. Cause now it's just very depressing <laughs> because it's, it's very just bleak. real. It's a very bleak satire and it's, it's yeah. a satire in the sense of, yeah, it's not, it's not laugh out loud funny with tons of jokes. There are funny lines. There are very mm -hmm. sardonic, dark lines from some of the characters. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a lot of it plays as essentially a critique on a political outlook. And uh, and then it's a mockumentary. So it's it's structured like a documentary, but it's mm -hmm. it's like Christopher Guest movies where it's a it's a fake documentary, although it definitely does not lean as hard into the comedy as Christopher Guest no. movies do. Yeah, like I thought it was going to. But it did not. Yeah, like to me, it felt a lot like if Christopher Guest decided to ever be political, it's kind of in the vein of what he would do. But Bob Roberts is too cruel to actually be in a Chris Guest movie. But it, it was nice to kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if, if it was if yeah. it was 1992 and I went into this movie and it's like, oh, it's a mockumentary. And this kind of feels like, you know, welcome to or, uh, this is Spinal Tap and all of the other Chris Ge or, uh, waiting for Guffman and all of that. I would. Yeah, I would assume that it's going to like all the jokes that I'm not laughing at. I'm supposed to be like, oh, yeah, that's a good joke. And then. Right. Popcorn. Yeah, this was definitely Linton. You said it not a not a ha 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 comedy, more of a hmm comedy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I Although wrote there were point... there there were several points of uncomfortable laughter at the audacity Ooh. of um, what uh, Bob Roberts has said. Especially in song, in his musical, oh, the music, in the lyrics. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so painful to listen to. All right. So and let's, yet, let's... all of the music is great. Like, yeah. it's really, it's their bops. It's really well done. All right. Yeah. So let's, let's dig into the music since that's been brought up. So that is a, that is a primary aspect of this film. So as I said, he's a, he's a conservative folk singer. 
and he presents very right-wing, hard right-wing views through songs that sound similar to Woody Guthrie or Bob Dylan. And Bob Dylan, we'll, we'll talk more about, but he's, he's yeah. directly referenced numerous times. Uh, early Bob Dylan, Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, The Weavers, other, other groups like that. And the song, the music itself is fantastic. The music, and I think we all probably agree on that, you know, and the lyrics are heinous. And um, the music is written by, it was written by Tim Robbins and his brother, David. And I did not know this for researching it. So apparently they are the sons of Gil Robbins of a group called the Highwaymen, which yep. was a, a, a ah. folk group. So they actually yep. kind of are steeped in this uh, growing up. And so that probably explains somewhat of how authentic and how good it sounds. But yeah, I'll, I'll open the floor because uh, I definitely want us to dig into the music, but I do have just one choice set of lyrics. Um, and there's a lot, you know, you get them all throughout the movie. And I wasn't, I couldn't find anywhere that had like all the lyrics uh, chronicled. So I just like found one set from kind of the main song. You hear it at least twice. So there's a song called Complain and Complain. Mm -hmm. And uh, so some of the early lyrics of it are, some people must have, some people have not, but they'll complain and complain and complain and complain and complain. Some people will work, some simply will not, but they'll complain and complain and complain and complain and complain. Like this, it's society's fault. I don't have a job. It's society's fault. I am a slob. I have potential. No one can see. Give me welfare. Let me be me. And so the lyrics are, you know, very hard right and kind of gross. Um, but the music is so good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. It's like a crime to do this to this great music. If you're into folk music, which I am. Yeah, it definitely feels like those songs where, you know, it takes you about, unless you're listening really, really close to a new song, it usually takes about three or four listens before you start to realize what it's actually about. And so the hooks on all of the Bob yeah. Robert songs are so innocent because if all you're hearing is complain and complain and complain and complain, it's kind of like do, 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 or like, or la-la's in the middle of a song. And it's really easy to kind of get sucked into that and fuck them for being so good. <laughs> yeah, no, really great. Really great. Uh, another one that st stuck out to me was the, I, I don't know, this lands for me or something yeah. to that effect. Yeah. That one, like, Ooh. yeah. Oh man. And they had, they have one. I don't. I think we might hear it briefly, and it's definitely mentioned by name. Where it's "Don't vote," and isn't it talking about? It's kind of like angled at if you basically if you don't agree with their philosophy, don't vote. I think is absolutely. What yeah. Is that what they were mentioning? They were trying to change the lyrics to "Don't smoke" when he was on the. Yeah, I, it's yeah. definitely not SNL show. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know if it's too early to bring this up, but Wall Street rap. When I saw oh, that man. name, let's bring yeah, it up. When I saw that name come up on the screen, I honest to God was preparing myself for him to be like, "I'm Bob Roberts, and I'm here to say invest in the bull market every day." <laughs> that would have been amazing. It, it ended up being a really fucking good song. It, like it actually played into <laughs> Tim Robbins' like ability to kind of speak, sing, and it just the cadence was great. Everything about it was really good, and. I'm still it's mad. a spoof of uh, subterranean homesick blues yeah. as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Dylan's kind of proto rap and they have Bob Roberts with cards like Dylan has in 
Dylan's oh, proto, yeah. yep. proto music uh, music video where yeah, he's just uh, dropping Penny Baker's "Don't Look Back." Yeah, and he's dropping the cards, and uh, so so they pull that in, and then I mentioned Dylan earlier, but we have Bob Roberts' albums are called "The Free Wheel and Bob Roberts," and the visual on it is to play off of Dylan's album of a similar name. You have Bob on Bob off of Blonde on Blonde, <laughs> and the times are changing back which has a, a visual to look like the Dylan album. And then the kind of cinema verite style is also playing off of Don't Look Back, as Matt mentioned. And then, you know, that uh, the music video part of it. Yeah, I'm curious, any other thoughts on the music? Because I'll the one other thing I'll throw out, because we've all definitely enjoyed it, is that Tim Robbins did not allow a soundtrack for this movie to be released because he I did not that. want anyone enjoying the song sincerely and he was Out of right he was right <laughs> yeah um i mean i yep. would love to have this on vinyl and i do have like somebody has cut the the songs like i found it years ago so somebody you know ripped them and i have like clean versions of the songs as mp3s but uh but yeah it's never been released on you know cd or vinyl or anything and i would love to have it but it's it's morally the right decision. It's yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. Even even if you are very a conservative leaning person, I mean, they're just they're so far leaning into it. It's it's deeply uncomfortable. It's not just like, oh, we're a bunch of liberal leaners and, you know, conservative views are gross. It's like very thinly veiled uh, uh, white power stuff like so thinly veiled if you were to sneeze on it it'd be like oh hey all right this is pro kkk all right well at one point in, in the drug song i couldn't find the lyrics on it or i would have written them out but like really early in one song about drugs uh i think it's just called drug stink but yeah. um which the character bob roberts it's it's implied heavily that he is involved in um like dirty dealings of, of selling drugs in, in other countries uh, for, you know, huge profits and everything. But he puts on this false face, but he has drug stink. And I think at one point he's like, he just calls for people who use drugs to be just like, like hung or something. Hung, it, it's, killed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's just that's like in the opening couple lines. Yeah. Uh, Matt, did you have something? Um, I did, but I don't remember what it was. All right. Yeah. All right. So I think I can throw in my weird theory right now of just why Bob <laughs> oh here we go excellent an amazing analog for bob roberts all right so i, I think you cut out a little bit say, say it again oh, sure why, why i think that bob dylan is such an amazing choice to kind of be the um the analog for bob roberts yeah and i think it's it's the whole idea of you know the hippies moving into yuppies and moving into boomers as we know them today and just the idea that in the 60s you had a lot of very ideological people who were you know, pushing for huge change with civil rights and women's rights and pretty much any um, pacifism, anything across the board. And when that didn't come easily or when they weren't able to actually celebrate the victories of people other than themselves, a lot of people fell out of that movement. And the idea that once you fall out of that, a lot of people began to bring the idea of like, well, I should just fight for me then. So the theory that in the 80s, a lot of the yuppies that you get are people who are former hippies who took the wrong lesson from the revolution were just like, no, fighting the government doesn't work. I'm going to be a part of the system and I'm going to make all the money I can and just do things for me. And so the fact that you can take Bob Dylan, a guy who was such a strong symbol for the 60s movement, 
and then use that as a way to make um, the yuppies of the 80s and the the new right conservatives of the early 90s feel good about themselves for making that shift is such a fucking clever move if that's what he did. Mm -hmm. But also, this could just be a very bad um, grad student paper. <laughs> I love it. No, I think you're right. Yeah, you, you're spot you, on. You said that in the notes. So you were like second guessing yourself. And I think I mean, I think it's I think it's definite. I You question whether or not Tim Robbins intended it. And uh, that could be up in the air. I think one element that is in your favor is Bob Roberts' parents. So we see his parents in a few clips and that mm -hmm. they were like hippies on a commune. They were trying to start a commune. And the mother is presented as being very uh, saddened by what her son has become. And she is, clearly disapproves of him based on statements. And she even like calls him out for lying in one of the short clips. But she keeps it very you know, like very hands off and she doesn't want to cross too many lines. The dad though is like, oh, he was right to question all this. And we, we shouldn't have been doing this commune stuff. And like the dad seems exactly what you're talking about, Dusty, of a former hippie turned, you know, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm voting for Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Like, like that. And, and just in a few clips, you, you get that. And so I would say uh, your theory on it, I think, is apt. And whether or not Robbins intended, I think, is kind of irrelevant because it's sort of that thing of just because an author didn't intend something doesn't mean it's not there. Sure. And so, you know, you're coming to it and you're you're making these connections. And so I think it's totally legit as a reading of the film that, yeah, that Dylan operates as a very that that they're making a a cynical twist to Dylan to usher in the monster that is in, that is Bob Roberts. Yeah. Well, even with the early um, debate between Lynn Thigpen's character on a uh, good morning, Philadelphia and Bob Roberts, where Bob's just like, Oh, all the terrible things we did in the sixties, like drugs and sex and all of this um, kind of I, civil disunion, I guess, or, or protest against authority. Mm -hmm. And like they, Lynn Thigpen's like, oh, you mean the civil rights advances we made and ensuring that people would actually, mm -hmm. you know, have equality in our world and him just being like, no, that was a yeah. complete waste of time. We should have never done that. Yeah. Yeah. He also rails against uh, like dishonesty and corruption in the 60s. And he's clearly alluding to any leftist movement. And she comes right out of the gate saying, you're, of course, referring to Watergate and the invasion of Cambodia. And he's like, uh, yeah. no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she she has a really strong uh, few minutes. Uh, I really like her in it. Yeah, would have would have. Yeah, would have loved to see see more of that. But I think I think Robert's um, I think one of the strongest cases that this movie has maybe switching gears a little bit here is the role the media plays in our political system. That's and, um, and this is kind of, you know, CNN was just in its nascent days. You, you didn't have the 24 hour news cycle that you had now, but you saw it with, with the way the media kind of like you saw the original resistance in the, in the media with, you know, with we just said with the Good Morning Philadelphia segment. But then as Roberts gains in popularity, the media just swells behind him and there's a fawning over him. Oh, yeah. Um, and which translates into all this free airtime right up until his appearance on the, the fake SNL. Um, and I think that is really present um, for, you know, how how the media, how 
candidates would come to manipulate the media and use the media. And then, I mean, you even saw some hints. They didn't say fake news, but they almost did. Like there was a scene where the one of the scenes where his um sorry I can't remember the character but um one of the investigative uh, Roberts no well yeah when when Bugs was was when Bugs the investigative journalist yeah. played by Giancarlo Esposito was um confronting um one of Roberts uh, entourage sure and and um you know basically is dismissed as being you know the left wing news you know, liberal news media. And I thought that was very much, very much play, very much relevant to what we're going through today. Oh man, completely. There's, and there's um, on, okay. So the SNL, the faux SNL was called a uh, cutting edge live, I think. Yes. Um, which is very good. And there's a, I loved that whole bit, but John Cusack was uh, one of the main uh, characters in that whole scene. It's it's multiple scenes. Yeah. What is what is Se words? Segment, segments, sequence, Se sequence, yes. sequence is great. Thank you for words, friends. Um, and he had this whole kind of bit where he was talking about um, in the beginning, our great company provided appliances for the neighborhood. We heated your home. We refrigerated your food. We improved the quality of your life. We prospered and you loved us. And we grew into a large multinational corporation. And we now own this very network. And he's talking about how like basically there is such a monetary influence in a lot of uh, media and news networks and how they can kind of control that to get you to vote certain ways. And it, he, that his character had a problem with the fact that uh, Bob Roberts was performing on this show because he basically said, this is free advertising for this political campaign. We shouldn't be doing this, but the network is making us do it. So we have to do it. It's a theme throughout this whole movie, how the media uh, helps or hurts with varying campaigns, whether or not they're actually trying to, they might just be chasing a news story, but even in chasing a news story, they are still kind of landing somewhere. And another piece that I loved, I mean, this script is brilliant. I love this script. I think Tim Robbins did an incredible job with it. Uh, but one of the things he brings up over and over again is the idea of objectivity and about how uh, the Bob Roberts character often will fight back against questions that are being asked of him by the news people by saying, oh, you're, you're not being objective. You're, as the media, you're supposed to be objective. Right. And uh, one of my favorite lines was from, oh, forget her name. She was the host. We've mentioned her a couple of times, host of Good Morning Philadelphia that we loved. I'm not sure what Actress her name. character name is, but uh, I think it was- Character name is Kelly. Okay, Lynn? Yes. 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 Uh, Lynn Thigpen. Yeah. Uh, and she says, I am offended by you, sir. If I ignore my feelings, I'm taking your side. You're not talking about objectivity. You're talking about ignorance. And I was like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> it was, it comes up multiple times, this thing of objectivity. And anytime that Bob Roberts doesn't like something, he just says, well, you're not being objective. It's like, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Well, off, off of that, too, um, you know, a couple people now talked about the role of the media and them fawning over Roberts at different points. And I haven't watched this movie since probably college. And so there was a lot of, as we said at the top of the, uh, the show, a lot of really horrific things that relate to current day politics where I was like, oh, shit. 
Um, I mean, I knew it was going to be relevant and that's why I picked it, but I didn't know quite how relevant and it wasn't, you know, in my mind of like, I didn't remember all the scenes and sequences, but so, so Lynn Thinkbin's character tells him off. Um, she, she puts on a face on air, but she's, you know, clearly like riled by him and rightfully so. And then she tells him off once the cameras go off and it's a really good scene. But one thing that I did not remember and was a really subtle thing, but so before they cut to her, they had shown Peter Gallagher, who um, he was in American Beauty and a bunch of other stuff, but he's like, you know, just this handsome Ken doll dude and uh, white, white dude. And so after she has told him off, he goes up and not even like in a performative way or against her as an anchor. We had seen him before. He shows up again. He goes up to Bob Roberts. He gets a campaign button from him. And he's like, oh, would love to have you back anytime, sir. And it's not as like a fuck you to the, you know, the black female anchor. It's just his natural like, oh, this guy, this guy's all right. You know, like he mm -hmm. just loves him. And you see that also in Fred Ward's character later where Bob Rob, there's some clip of Bob Roberts commenting on some some unrest that's happening. And he says that the 60s are over. And then it cuts yeah. to Fred Ward, who uh, is, is another news anchor and says, I couldn't agree more. And then he moves on to something else. It's just these subtle little moments where you get like the white male point of view of yep. the media who are like, yeah, Bob Roberts, he's the guy. Well, and the thing too, with that, um, that uprising thing we were talking about, it was uh, when Bob Roberts was at Penn State doing a uh, campaign rally slash um, musical show. There were five yeah. people in the audience who did a quick boo got kicked out and right. beaten up along the way out. And it's the whole idea of the media saying, oh, this was a huge giant protest and terrible things happened along the way. And I can't help but compare that to Portland or Seattle or everything that's happening now. Sure. Well, like these cities are burning down. And it's like, no, like one dumpster got set on fire because the cop shot a CS mm -hmm. gas canister into it. And that was it. <laughs> so I'm curious and I'm, I'm going to pose this to the... Um, to 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 the panel here uh what do you guys think the movie was trying to say about investigative journalists by having bugs raplin be a kind of undergrad be a reporter for a you know self-described radical reporter for uh you know left-leaning newspaper being the the only kind of real investigative or or real uh push for the truth in this and co conscience of the film essentially con yeah absolutely i actually think he said it himself uh he has a line uh towards the end he has this kind of monologue and he says you know the media essentially is too invested in their own agenda if you want the truth you have to go search for it they're not mm -hmm. going to feed it to you I think that was kind of his whole point in the movie, even though they make they make him an outcast. Uh, he's from a tiny paper with a weird name. He's a uh, a person of color surrounded by an almost entirely white cast, and he's scruffy. You know, like he wears a a, a beanie and this giant ill fitting coat, mm. uh, and he's next to these like clean cut, well dressed reporters. So he's he's kind of an outcast mm. uh, and he's also presented in such a way as to make you and the other characters uncomfortable. 
he he yells a lot. He's like he's very in your face. Um, I saw a review that actually called him a touch rabid, uh, and he's very angry. I mean, as he should he should be. He's trying to chase down criminals, and no one is taking him seriously. Um, but he's he's also he feels very conspiratorial. Like the stuff he's talking about is cover-ups and shadow corporations and the CIA. And so he's like, by design, someone you just really want to roll your eyes at. Um, but the thing is, he's right. And I think it's he's made to be like, ooh, the truth is uncomfortable. Like you should, it's it's not something you're drawn to necessarily, but it doesn't mean it's not necessary and important. Yeah, that's one aspect uh, when, Matt, you pose that about like the movie's view of uh, investigative journalism and, and how Bugs' character is presented. I think that's one of the things, I, I don't know if I would say it's dated. I think it's complicated now because mm -hmm. I think I think when this movie came out, the argument it was making about the media of like media cozying up to politicians. And as Dusty said, even if they're not even trying to you know do something to sway an election just or, or anything else they could just based on how they choose to report something or select one thing or another or don't track down actual sources and all, all those kind of reasons um so i think when this came out in 92 i think bugs representing like kind of underground investigative journalists and underground papers i think he made sense in in you know like stories like Iran Contra and, and other aspects, political scandals that have been out there where there's a lot of information that's out there, but then it kind of gets swept under the rug and just like moved along. All right, we're done with all that. So I think it operates well in its original form. When you transpose that to today, though, while I don't think the movie is wrong to be critical of the media, of some of the questions it raises, bugs... <laughs> You, you, I mean, while Bob Roberts is obviously a conservative, uh, hard, harsh conservative character, and the, you know, the the villains of the film are, are obviously, uh, you know, harshly conservative, and Bugs certainly, uh, you know, leftist, radical leftist, however you mm -hmm. want to categorize it. Like, in today's context, Bugs almost seems like a QAnon follower. You know what I mean? Uh, like, e even though what he's putting out there is is real and factual information mm -hmm. that he's un uncovered, and he's like honest, and he's not just spouting off insane conspiracy theories. In, you know, if you think about the way the media is talked about now, it's, oh, well, they're, you know, they hate Trump, and they, they, they you know, they're, they're, they're against these candidates, and the QAnon people are, they're going to uncover everything. So it, it, there's a weirdness to it of like, bugs as a leftist radical fighting against a media that he views as being too cozy with a conservative candidate and then you have QAnon people who are you know harshly against media resources even though a lot of things that they're chasing after like john f kennedy jr being alive like <laughs> that's just crazy and so so i i, I wouldn't say it's dated it's just things have become so much more complicated yeah. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, I, oh, yeah, I have maybe two points off that. One is, yeah, Linton, I definitely agree with you that it is that that maybe the relationship certainly has changed. I don't think people are calling the press the the enemy. I don't think 
mainstream figures were calling the press the enemy of the people in right. 1992. Um, so I think the role of the press certainly is changed in modern politics. Uh, well, some of the press. Um, and, and I think, um, but I do think there's, you know, certain like parallels with um, the, the kind of C plot of the rush up to war in the Gulf mm. uh, and the way the media kind of coalesces around that and, and, you know, public opinion sways. Um, I think that is very reminiscent of what was actually going on. Um, and what happened subsequently with the, the second Iraq war, you know, with the, the, and the role the media played there, maybe ushering that along. So I think there, there's certain some mess, certainly some messages to be taken out of that. Dusty. Oh yeah. Like the two things I was thinking with, um, uh, um, at one point we get a look at where, uh, Bugs Ratlin lives. And I think in our, with our point of view, it looks like he lives in Pepe Silvia land where everything is kind of connected yeah, by yeah. twine mm. and articles mm. and things like that. And from our point of view, yeah, that looks a bit, uh, that looks a bit unhinged, but rem remembering that we're living in 1992, that bugs is operating on a budget. He probably doesn't have a computer. He probably doesn't have a filing cabinet. Mm -hmm. He's working with what he has. And so his apartment just kind of has to turn into an evidence locker and it has to have this sort of look. So I think it's really, really easy for us to kind of get the opinion that he's, unhinged that he's more of a conspiracy nut than he is a guy who's actually going after the truth and that's just probably oh my god what's the word i'm looking for the misfortune of looking at it through our current lens um but i think mm. the way that he's portrayed as um working for this uh, very kind of a different newspaper just the the idea of using the alt weekly newspaper as the, the mm. beacon of truth just because in the early 90s you don't really have that much else you don't and so, yeah, so in the early 90s, you didn't really have that many options for for seeking out the truth. You could go to the library and read books. You don't really have the Internet. You could you could join a local group who might have information. But the alt weekly newspaper was really about the closest you were going to get to uncomfortable truth. And those aren't exactly clean cut folks. I mean, they're going to be very leftist sort of individuals who don't mind putting the waterbed factory as a consistent ad in the back of the paper. And it's, yeah, I think that was a really, I thought it was a lot more truthful sort of portrayal as someone from that time who would be seeking out the truth in a more legitimate fashion. Oh, sure. I super had not thought about the comparison to uh, conspiracy theory crazy heads now and how um, that character does kind of fit that bill now or is it just that we've been pushed to think that it's it's complicated i think linton you saying that it's complicated is a great point because the bugs character is fantastic and even if he does seem like a conspiracy not he's like kind of pushed into that um peg hole he is literally set up for a shooting that he didn't commit like and which makes him sound even crazier when he's like i didn't do it they planted the gun on me and they did and but that just makes him sound worse. And it's it's very frustrating because the one character in this movie, maybe not the one character, but one of the main characters in this movie who is really throwing everything they have at trying to find the actual truth with sources, with like reality, is then just kind of destroyed by the machine on purpose. Like it's not just an accidental. They actually 
go out of their way to silence him uh, yeah, in a way by killed. making him look crazy. He, he's murdered. Well, they, well yeah, yeah, he's they, they initially try to make him look crazy, but he has a palsy in his hand. And so he would not have been able to fire the gun. So essentially the charges, you know, like the, they they didn't know that is the implication. You know, they shoved a gun in his hand or whatever um, to, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald him basically and uh they don't know that and so then um he he ends up getting off of the charges but yeah then later in the film he's murdered by like uh some kind of militant group and vigilante justice yeah it's all off screen so and it's presented through the documentary lens where bob roberts followers find out about it and are cheering it on which is very cheer his death well it's very very chilling but it's also i think it works really well of like you you find out he died like word of mouth the documentary just picks it up and then you hear a report over a radio station and then they like move on i think even the report they refer to him as like a radical something like they even even make him sound kind of nutty and then they move on with the next thing and so there's definitely some bleakness there of even though we've been following this character throughout the length of the film and he's played so perfectly uh by esposito and he's our conscience in the film he doesn't get a death scene he doesn't get justice he doesn't get to uncover the monster he's just swept away and we and and the other characters are just told about it and i mean i think that's by design it's supposed to be he's a footnote in this in the legacy of bob roberts yeah killed killed by a group you'd probably refer to as a white nationalist group yep. if it were happening today yeah. well, yeah, and i thought it was really interesting too how they were constantly referring to him as a radical and as, as a parallel to senator brickley paste who was played by gore vidal who is consistently by the media referred to as a philanderer despite the fact that they don't really have evidence of the fact and that they're not really going out of their way to try to prove that he is or isn't but just this idea of how yeah. quickly the media will latch on to a descriptive noun and how difficult it is to to tear that away once it's established. Yeah, before uh, before Bugs is uh, set up for Bob Roberts' faux shooting, which that's another aspect worth noting. So they, they completely fake a shooting that mm-hmm. Bob Roberts was shot and so they have a doctor flown in and he was supposedly hit in the spine and we could talk about this. Uh, we'll, we'll save kind of the ending uh, for a bit later, but supposedly shot in the spine and they show some diagrams and there was like blood on him. But then there's a lot in the film to indicate that, you know, he actually was fine. And there was characters uh, who there's, there's a, a female character who has been part of his campaign that angrily leaves at one point. You don't really know why, but you kind of get the indication. She knows something. But yeah, so. So Bob Roberts, they essentially fake his uh, a, a potential assassination. Although that was one part of the movie that that threw me a little bit because they say that uh, I think Bugs witnessed someone or someone else witnessed someone. I can't remember fire a gun in, into the ground, and I thought, well, that doesn't quite work because like there would be bullets in the ground. Like like you could trace that. I thought that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you could maybe claim like in the confusion there were more gunshots than you thought or something or you know i i don't know but uh because it seems like blanks or maybe there were blanks i guess they didn't address that fact so 
Um, or if it's a conspiracy, they could have just gone back and pried him out of the ground. That was kind of where I landed was sure. like, if they were planning this and they knew they did that, maybe they just went back for him. Yeah. Or maybe the police just didn't care. Like maybe no one cared because it was like, <laughs> oh, the only person saying that this is how it happened was that crazy guy. The media knows he's crazy, which means he's yeah. crazy. And they were also kind of in bed with the, uh, the TV station. And it was on the, the yes. you know, the yes. SNL type places uh, property. Yeah. Um, so, so that could have been a thing. But yeah, uh, I got a little off track. But with Gore Vidal's character, before anything happens with Bugs, Gore Vidal is, they, they have a picture of him dropping off a teenage girl. And then the story, be, and he's, you know, in his like 60s or early 70s or whatever, what Gore Vidal was, as presented as though he's having some kind of affair and then you know he states he tells the media and us the the audience that that was like the uh friend of his granddaughters and that she was also in the car but they you know cut her out of the picture and so i mean the movie doesn't explicitly say like he's absolutely telling the truth but with everything else we're seeing it's it's pretty clear that this is being presented to interfere with the election and make him look like some kind of monster jack uh, I just wanted to say that that whole plot leads to one of, for me, the laugh out loud moments in the movie is uh, when Bob Roberts is putting out some campaign ads. He puts out one uh, that is one of those like real negative ads against his opponent. He said, what's his name? Plate? Paste. 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 Something. Okay. Yeah. It's like paste will give free rides to welfare recipients unqualified men and women will have jobs that could be yours. And they're saying this as they're panning up very slowly. And there's a phone that's like off the hook and they pan past the phone and on, on the phone, it's clearly supposed to be Pace's uh, phone. There's a little um, post-it note that says, I heart teens on it. And I laughed so hard. It was amazing. It was just little like subtle, but not subtle nod of like, remember he likes girls like never forget it was so good it was a tear i mean it's an awful campaign ad but feels very real i thought my, that was my, great my favorite thing about this and i i didn't read this anywhere but i'm i'm like 99 positive that this is the case um i'm almost sure that bob roberts narrated his own attack ad for paste oh, yeah. if you, if you go right, back but... if you have the file like go back and listen to it because it sounds like tim robbins but doing one of those uh what's the, the thing world. what's what's the thing what was the parks and rec thing who were they attacking does anyone remember oh shoot uh, yeah, bobby, bobby newport. newport it was one of those yeah. it was one of those yeah. bobby newport it was that yeah it, it was, was it was somebody so putting funny. on that that evil uh political voice and i'm almost positive it's tim robbins and if it's tim robbins then that means bob roberts is narrating his own attack ad on his opponent which is just chef's kiss so just good so nice. good yeah yeah but i think the real question is was brickley paste at comic ping pong pizza and if so <laughs> oh dusty oh no oh no da, 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 um, da, da. Woo. what do we think about gore vidal in this movie i mean he's he was basically like his scenes were all unscripted yeah really? that was that was yeah. a really cool thing that they uh, well, i don't know that they were unscripted his dialogue was they said mostly unscripted yeah yeah um oh, i wow. mean i think he knew what the scenes were going to be but it was, yeah that, it was 
it said that his uh, his views as this character were essentially based on just Gore Vidal's own real views on politics, which was yeah, pretty wow. great. It was basically Gore Vidal being himself in in all of his pompous glory. Um, <laughs> yeah, you had a problem with his, his I, pomposity. I, I had, I did a little bit. I have a, a love hate relationship with Gore Vidal. <laughs> um, I think he's fantastic, but I can only take so much. And um, well, you asked if that was by design, and I think yeah. it, I think it probably was that they wanted they wanted someone who was the old guard versus right. the young mm. young handsome conservative upstart kind of thing. But I I also think he had a really telling line at one point when he's talking about the debate with Bob Roberts, and he says something along the lines, or it might have been during the debate, but he's talking about presentation versus substance. Mm. And I think that was the idea was that he was representative of actual political ideologies to try to help people. And that Bob Roberts was merely someone they were carting out there to look good while, you know, kind of having, uh, you know, a heinous agenda behind it. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I mean, that little bow tie that Gore Vidal has is a nice warning that it's like after 15 (laughs) minutes, you will want to leave and it's perfectly fine if you do. I I think one of my favorite things that he had was just his, this sad sincerity that of course the public's going to do the right thing. And of course, you know, truth always wins out. And yeah, you've been a Senator for, I think he said 30 years at that point. And it's like, yeah, civility's always worked for you, but that's never been politics. You've just been lucky. (laughs) Oh, when he said that line to the camera, I almost thought that he was saying it sardonically. Like he was saying it as a, I have to say this for the camera, but I don't really believe that this is true. Mm. That that was my interpretation. I don't think I took that just because everyone you else know. was dialed up to 11 on their character. So I don't think I was ready for that kind of like subtle, like, dig. <laughs> well, like he was in front of the camera, like he's front of like cameras, particularly news cameras for the election. But remember when he's in front of just the documentary camera and he starts talking about like, that the United States is controlled by the National Security Council. Like, that was pretty cynical and raw. Yeah. So that, to me, makes more sense that that character, it, when he's in front of the news cameras, is saying, like, oh, the American people will do what's right, of course, like, because he has to say that. Because, like, that that was my interpretation. No, that makes a lot more sense. It. Yeah, I think I brain lapsed on that. No, that's cool. I, I mean, I think he was pretty resigned to, I mean, certainly in the, and I don't know chronologically where this fits in, like in the imaginary filming of the movie, but you know, the scenes where he's, where, where he has the bow tie untied and he's giving uh, his yeah. honest, um, honest take. I mean, it seems like he's pretty resigned to his fate. Yeah. That's that, probably post election yeah. or. Near, yeah. That's what near I'm the, thinking. Near the, end. the first time we see him with his tie untied is after their town hall, uh, where they kind of first go head to head. Uh, right, but we don't know chronologically that. when he would have recorded it for the documentary, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know. No, no, I'm it's just, just saying. when they cut it in. <laughs> I know what you're saying. I get it. You're right. Um, my only other thing on Vidal is I showed this movie to my brother years back, um, who you know was a fan and agreed with much of the kind of horrible political stuff it was warning of. But he made a good comment that uh, stuck with me, which was, so they have the debate with Bob Roberts and Gore Vidal, and then they don't really have a debate. 
he was like, oh, I wanted to see them actually, like he wanted to see the character of Bob Roberts debate Gordon Vidal. Once he said that, I was like, yeah, that should have happened, movie. We should have seen. No, I disagree. Because (laughs) political debates are not debates. They're also not fun to watch. No. (laughs) Um, Yet we all do it. They're called debates. They're called debates, but, you know, they're, they're not. It's side A espouses their idea. Side B comes up with their idea and maybe they address the same question well i don't to be fair i don't think he was saying i wanted to hear hear their debate so i could decide who to vote for man. <laughs> I, think, I think he was yeah, saying you know, at the end of the movie when you cast your fiction, vote <laughs> right i think uh it was a documentary and it was filmed in real this time really i think he wanted to s- campaigns those- <laughs> i think he wanted oh, to no. see those characters go head to head as though it were an actual debate and like the kind of just like viciousness of both sides uh like i mean i think it would have been entertaining to see in the in the fiction of the film yeah anything else on vidal what do we think do we think uh do we think he was telling the truth or not about the girl i kept going back uh, and forth on that i really don't know and it bothered me for a bit in the movie because i am one of those people who sometimes likes to look at movies very simply and wants to know who is the good guy and who is the bad guy. And it's like, clearly I'm supposed to think that Paste Paste is the good guy, but what if he really was sleeping with this teenage girl? Then he's a monster. I'm like, okay, that's not the point of this movie. (laughs) You need to calm down. All right. I agree with second Jack. For them. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't think the movie gives you any evidence to think that it was legit. I mean, it's it's presented as a possibility, I suppose, and then he presents why it wasn't real. But you know, they no one ever follows up on it. Bugs doesn't follow up on it because it's not his focus, and the documentarians don't follow up on it. Yeah, I mean, with every other thing you see the Bob Roberts team doing throughout. I feel that it's obvious to me, it's just one other element of what they are doing to try yeah. to, to, to take the election. So I think another movie could have left it as a questionable thing of like, well, was this character good or not or whatever? To me, I think the movie's goal it, with it is, you know, he didn't do that. That's just part of Bob Roberts' plan. I think they just needed something to close the poll numbers, to close yeah. the gap in the polls. Yeah, if the movie was more about is a two-party yeah. system what America really needs, then yeah, I think they would that would have been more of the crux of the movie. But yeah, I think Matt's 100% right on that. Yeah. All right. Uh, other things. What else we want to talk about? Well, one, one thing we haven't talked about yet that was part of our pre-notes for this. Let's talk about Donald Trump. Yay! Oh, everyone's favorite. Uh, we talked about enough of that. Yeah, let's talk about him. We don't do that enough <laughs> yeah. in, in life. F- so. FYI, uh, so just for anyone listening, we recorded a face in the crowd. It was a few weeks back. And so um, maybe maybe a couple weeks ago, I don't know, early, early October. And this is now uh, we're past the midpoint in October. So the election is coming in fast. But this will actually air. Uh, both those episodes are going to go up a few days before the actual election. So whatever horrible things lie in wait for us in the next couple weeks, we don't know yet. Get out Um, and vote people get out and vote. (laughs) Yes. Um, But yeah, so when we, uh, if you listen to the face in the crowd episode, we talked about that character lonesome roads and how he and his um, rise to power was similar and different to Trump. 
And I think the character Bob Roberts has some similarities and definite differences as well. So let's open it up. We'll, we'll say Trump, but we'll also say um, Tea Party and other aspects because we we kind of addressed a few other things as well. So we'll just kind of we'll say modern modern American politics, including Donald Trump. What do we make of Bob Roberts, the character and the film? So for me, Bob Roberts is not Donald Trump. Bob Roberts mostly is because almost, of the spelling. Yes. Uh, Bob Roberts is almost a more dangerous creation because he is a true believer. He is charismatic. He is likable. And he is a true believer in the conservative cause. He is like Paul Ryan or Ted Cruz or Rick Santorum with a guitar and a harmonica. But I would argue that you, you just said that you think Bob Robbins is more dangerous and then compared him to real life people who do not hold the presidential seat. So I don't know if reality agrees with you that the more uh, charismatic people are more dangerous. Well, I think, um, let me explain that because Donald Trump says bad things that are obviously bad. And I think 40, I don't know what the latest poll number is, 52% of the population now or the voting population agrees that he is saying obviously horrible things. I think if uh, Bob Roberts were a real person and he were mm. actually as popular and um, I think he would, I think he would have a much higher popularity and be able to actually get more stuff done to actually further his goals because uh, he he actually n understands how the system works and how to use it and isn't just kind of going off on his on every little whim of his. Hmm. I mean, hmm. don't let me that, not to diminish D Donald Trump is dangerous. And he's a racist and a bigot and a fascist and an authoritarian and all of those things. Matt has a yellow notepad with <laughs> a lot of adjectives <laughs> filling it right now. But he's not likable. Yeah. Whereas I think Bob Roberts is like, I hated everything about Bob Roberts, <laughs> but I liked him. Like, but he was like, played by Tim Robbins. But, I yeah, mean, but he, yeah. but like the music was fun. It was like all the sub substance substantively. I disagreed with him, but I was like, yeah, I get it. You know, I get the what appeal. What Matt's saying is Bob Roberts won his vote. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Him and yeah. Princely paste or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Bob Roberts. Oh, sorry. But I, I think. No, I was going to say, Go I think ahead, he Dusty. more represents the people that surround Trump a lot better than Trump himself. Like he's, he's kind of like mm. a living ideology. Just, I was trying to think mm. who would best represent Bob Roberts who has ever existed or currently exists. And I really couldn't think of anyone. It, it's he's just this person who is equally talented, um, very intelligent, very, um, very good at planning ahead and understanding how the system works. And we've really been kind of lucky in American politics that we usually get two out of three on that. And yeah, yeah he's I think he, he's more representative of the group that works around Trump, because when you get all those different personalities together, you can kind of fake that three out of three and make it work and push those ideas forward. While Trump, you know, just says whatever he wants, everyone around him just kind of does a fascist improv and makes it work. 
Bob Roberts, Bob Roberts is the people that would tell you to take Trump seriously, 100%. but not literally. Um, ah. Ah. Well, the, um, uh, now, the people that I think that he he kind of connects to, um, there's two in particular. For me, once I started thinking about this and people had made some comments, like I latched on to Paul Ryan. Like, like Paul Ryan obviously isn't a conservative folk singer, but in terms of being like a young, vaguely handsome enough uh, conservative <laughs> candidate, I don't want to say handsome because I don't think he is, but like a presentable, <laughs> we'll say, you know, presentable, youngish conservative candidate who's just an absolute diehard true believer and who would present usually some pretty heinous viewpoints, but doing it in a way that seems, you know, really respectable. I like that Paul Ryan, you know, he's, he's got some good ideas. Like, like I that may not agree with, with everything he says, but you know, he seems sensible. Yeah. And that so, type of thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's that, I mean, it's not specific just to him. And obviously he wasn't in politics. I mean, he was in like, he was at going to Miami university when this movie came out, I'm pretty sure. Um, but I think, you know, it's Bob Roberts is in a similar kind of mold. I mean, it's almost, you know, he's like a, a conservative Jack Kennedy uh, in a way Bob Roberts is of, of, mm. of gearing yeah. up the populace. Um, the other one, which is interesting, I was mistaken on this cause I thought Tim Robbins actually based it on this guy, but the actual story is Bob Roberts came out in 92 it's about the 1990 election. So there's a lot of stuff about the Gulf War, which obviously had already occurred, but in the presence of the film, it's, it's you know, run, uh, run, the run up to the Gulf War. Um, but 92, and then I think it was like the 94 election. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but shortly thereafter, uh, Rick Santorum mm -hmm. in his very early days was running because he's probably in his like mid to late 50s now. So he would have probably been in his, 30s I, I took so he was so rick santorum was in a race against harris wofford and it uh, i read that it brought frequent comparisons with bob roberts a movie that two years earlier so 1994 had parodied the cult of personality and its role in campaign politics pitting with remarkable prescience distinguished slightly diffident liberal senator against a charismatic insincere upstart prone to singing such inanities as this land was made for me that was bob roberts um, and then the movie itself is set in Pennsylvania, which is what Santorum was uh, running for. And it was a congressional seat, I believe. Uh, does that sound right, Dusty? Yeah. 100%. Yeah, it would yeah. be. Yep. Yeah. So um, so that that it's interesting that even shortly after uh, this movie came out, even though it wasn't any kind of big hit, people were making that comparison kind of similar to probably like when Wag the Dog came out. And yeah. shortly, like within a year or two, people were comparing one of Bill Clinton's, you know, military engagements. I can't remember which somebody on the. Yeah, it was a pharmaceutical factory in Afghanistan or something like that. So, yeah, they, they compared that because it was uh, to wag the dog because he was engaged in the Lewinsky scandal at the time. So uh, Rick Santorum has been directly compared and he does have a vague uh, visual appearance. And I think Rick Santorum's outward uh, Jack, why are you giving me that face? He's a, he's a, he's a bland. You said he had a vague <laughs> visual appearance, like Bigfoot. Your best friend Bigfoot. Linton is now crushing hard on Rick Santorum, guys. I meant <laughs> similar to Bob Roberts. Roberts, he has a vague similarity. Um, but he's yeah, a so, so Rick Santorum and Paul Ryan, I think, make sense uh, in this. And then uh, what else we got? Dusty, you look like you've had some yeah, things to say. 
it's such a hard thing with this movie because like I can kind of see it with Rick Santorum. I can kind of see it with Paul Ryan. But when the movie was made, Bob Roberts would have been such an explosion in the GOP for what they were doing right then. Um, the, at a moment, they talk about Bob Roberts being part of the new right, which technically started in 64, peaked with Ronald Reagan. But then after that, it kind of sputtered mm-hmm. apart because Reaganism was so popular, but you still have to evolve your, po- your uh, party. And Pat Buchanan decided, oh, we're going to start the culture wars. It's, you know, America's full of sin. We need to stop drugs. People need to stop fucking. And that's going to be our new brand from here on out. But along with that came not so much it being entertainment and getting people riled up. It was all based on political philosophy, which, you know, gets people just, you know, breaking chairs excited to talk about that sort of thing. And everyone who attempted that in the new right never amounted to much. Pat Pat Buchanan had to go third party to even run for president. Alan Keyes would probably be about the closest you could get for that. And his whole life has turned into hosting Infowars whenever Alex Jones is out. And so Bob Roberts would have been such an explosion and such a dangerous personality at that time when things were when the wheels were starting to fall off of the new right that I think it was more so Tim Robbins realizing that there is an emptiness there that someone could fill. And we might not know who that is, but whoever does take it is going to have that sort of explosion in popularity like a Bob Roberts person would. Well, but yeah, you, the, didn't, didn't, didn't you in your notes, uh, this was too good to, to have it die in the notes. You talked about like referring to this as like the Oracle yeah. of Delphi. Yeah, where it's like in 1992, that? if you saw this movie, you know, we're about to get Bill Clinton... We have George H.W. Bush, who we mostly know for lying about taxes and throwing up when he ate broccoli. He's not, not a lot of people get mad about H.W. Bush. And so we're, we're kind of in this weird political time where people are kind of mad about the Iraq war, but it's, it's pretty much almost done. And we're about to get Bill Clinton and there's a new set of prosperity. So people aren't super hyped up. So when you get this movie talking about the dangers of what could happen politically, it feels like just craziness it feels like someone is just swinging for the what's the word i'm looking for just someone making a wild prophecy standing on top of sulfur fumes Mm -hmm. and just getting high on their own predictions but then in 2020 this movie feels like it feels like a textbook retelling of the 2016 election and how that sort of thing could become popular it predicts proud boys it predicts just that cult of personality of just Mm -hmm. finding a narcissist with the ability to take their charisma in whatever strange direction they want to go and no one stopping them. Mm-hmm. Well, I would I, say I, even before 2020, I mean, you know, look at the Republican revolution of 94, um, the Tea Party movement. I mean, all of these had, I mean, they didn't have someone rise with quite the 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 audacity of a, of a um, Bob Roberts. But I mean, certainly they were very strong personalities to come out of that. And I mean, they were very, very conservative, <laughs> you know, much, much more so. I mean, they really pushed the GOP to the right, you know, at each at each stage, at each stage, ultimately culminating in, you know, the 2016 election. You even have uh, some of the Tea Party visuals in this film with Bob Roberts in one of his music videos dressing as like a revolutionary soldier. That's right. And then his his followers start adopting that, which you saw that in the Tea Party movement. Like yeah. you, yep. you would see at those rallies, uh, people would be decked out in that uh, garb. Um, but I, I do want to circle back to Trump just because we, I mean, I, I essentially agree with everyone that, yeah, Bob Roberts is definitely far too smart 
to be Trump and far too apt a player in the system to be able to say, oh, he's a one-to-one analog for Trump. And we said basically the same thing with Lonesome Roads, that Lonesome Roads had similarities to Trump, but there were definite differences. So we, you know, we wouldn't say it's, oh, it's just, just, it's just this guy. But I did think there were some interesting um, and worrisome parallels. So one is the fact that you have Bob Roberts is a singer slash celebrity before he enter officially enters into politics, which mm-hmm. is very similar to Donald Trump in that Donald Trump, yes, he was a rich businessman and everything, but there you, I've seen clips where people say they literally voted for him because they watched The Apprentice, because he was, he was on a TV show they watched and they saw him as that reality show, quote unquote, good businessman. And so he, he was a performer, but a, he was playing the role of a good businessman, we pretty much know. So you have that, that's a similarity there with Bob Roberts and obviously Ronald Reagan was yeah. performers before him, but but there's a, a similarity there uh, that you could draw the connection. The appearance on SNL or Cutting Edge Live in this film, I completely forgot about that. And so when that hit, um, basically the idea is Bob Roberts has already been out in the world and espousing his views, and many people are disgusted by him, including John Cusack, who's the host, and other people who work on this sketch show. But the network wants to be cozy with Bob Roberts and the Lorne Michaels character who is played by Bob Balaban, who just looks like a spot on like Lorne Michaels early nineties. Mm. Yeah. So, some people might know him as Phoebe's dad on friends, which is definitely where I knew him from. <laughs> some people might. He's or, also in all the Christopher Guest from, movies. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, but he, uh, he plays like a character. It's, I think his name is Michael Jacobs or something, um, which, you know, clearly playing off Lorne Michaels. But he is, he allows Bob Roberts on the show. He's giving them a, giving him a platform. He's letting him sing whatever song he wants. And there's sort of like a showrunner who's objecting and sort of sabotages the show. But that all plays very similar to Donald Trump's allowance onto SNL during the run up to the 2016 election. So that was kind of hideous to watch unfold. I had completely forgotten. And then there's two other moments that were really like, again, I've not watched this movie since college. So we're talking 2005 or something. Two things that if we want to compare to current day politics, you start to see, so Jack Black's character, he has a couple friends and they're presented as being like socially backward and super nervous. And they're huge fans of Bob Roberts and they like get to meet him at one point, but they are just like die hard, true believers and when you first see them, they're like in trench coats and it's not really presented as like a thing. It's just sort of, I don't know, they're wearing them now. But then as the movie goes on, you start to see more and more characters wearing these these like beige trench coats that make them look very conservative, almost like they're like CIA people or Secret Service or something. It, it, it becomes like a uniform. And it's a very subtle thing throughout the movie where characters, more and more characters mm-hmm. are donning these trench coats. You swap those out for MAGA hats and the, it's the exact mm-hmm. same thing. And then the other moment that really creeped me out is I talked about the that some Bob Roberts characters start, or followers start to dress as um, revolutionary heroes. So near the end, Bob Roberts has basically faked his own assassination attempt and his followers find out that Bugs was killed 
and mm-hmm. Bob is up in the hospital and the drawn uh, blinds are drawn and you can see him walking around. He's supposed he's supposedly paralyzed and you can see him walking around in silhouette. And, you know, the implication with that and another moment being that, you know, he was never actually harmed. The movie's already indicated that that this has all been fake to help win him election. Anyway, the characters see someone moving up there. It's it's hard for me to tell whether or not the movie wants you to think the characters are kind of in on the dodge at that point. One of them seems like he kind of is like he's kind of slyly grinning. But uh, but the moment for me that was really chilling, there's a guy we see briefly throughout the movie. It's it's the guy with the it's the guy, the the sidler from Seinfeld who kept sneaking up on Elaine um, and she gave him gave him chewing gum, if anyone remembers that episode of Seinfeld. But um, this random guy we keep seeing, he's sitting in a wheelchair. Oh, and he's yeah, he's decked out in uh, the revolutionary garb and he's staring up at Bob Roberts window and the camera is just on him like in this extreme close up and he has a flag behind him that's like attached to his wheelchair. He's not really in a wheelchair. It's it's all part of like an act because he's he wants to be like Bob. Um mm-hmm. and the camera is this in this extreme close up and he just yells Bob. And it's like so intense and so terrifying and you swap out Bob for Trump and mm-hmm. that is an image that everyone listening to this has seen at a rally in the last yep. four years. You have seen yep. that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That was very creepy to watch. Yeah. It's uh unbelievable how much this echoes or pre-echoes Trump's campaign. I don't know what a pre-echo is, but it's calls, I, calls forward. I call forward. Indeed. Like, uh, indeed. Um it's uh, I'm irritated because what I wrote down was remarkably prescient, yep. prescient. Uh, and Linton, you read something earlier that said that. And I was like, well, that's unfair. They pre-echoed my uh, words right there, right out of my mouth, which was very frustrating. A lot of, lot of pre-echoing going on. A lot of pre-echoing. But it, it truly is remarkable. It's uncanny. It's uh, all of the things you just pointed out are spot on. And I, and, uh, I think, Dusty, you were saying that it's strange for that to have been pulled out in 1992 like it is how is tim robbins seeing into the future like this it's crazy this movie hits so differently now than it would have six years ago or when it came out it's just it's a very different feeling and it's hard to enjoy in the way that i think it was meant to be enjoyed or hard to look at it and go ah okay we can learn from this because well we didn't we're in this now. There's a point where um, I keep coming back to the uh, scene with Lynn Thigpen, where she is on Good Morning Philadelphia, where they are just she's bringing up difficult questions and he doesn't like them. So he's avoiding them in uh, various ridiculous ways. And one of the ways is uh, he he's like, you have cynical anti-American views. Are you a communist? And I wrote yeah. down this isn't even comedy anymore. This is just how political discourse works now. Yeah. This is just it. Um, and it's disappointing and it's, oh, but it's weird. But yeah, the the parallels to Trump are everywhere. There's two, uh, other, in, I was gonna say, there's two other Trump things I meant to mention and then I'll uh, open it back up to anyone else. I just don't want them to get lost. One is I forgot about this. When Tim Robbins is doing the cards in the subterranean homesick blues part part of it that kind of they they spend particular time leaving these cards up is the words win by any means necessary 
And yes. now that's obviously like Trump didn't create that. And you could say both sides of politics can have that viewpoint at times. And certainly Republicans can. But for Donald Trump in particular, like that's like a personal belief and motto of that he will do anything. He will, he doesn't, he mm -hmm. has no, there's no bottom. <laughs> there's no limit. Mm -hmm. He will sink to whatever it, mm -hmm. it needs to happen. And so that I drew that parallel. And then the other one, um, which I never read this before because I haven't revisited the film or anything written on it for years is apparently, uh, so Tim Robbins was in an interview and said, Bob Roberts came true. Mm -hmm. He was talking about just politics in general um, going on at the time and Hollywood and different aspects, but that was one of his quotes. And so he he definitely thinks that it's yeah, uh, it's completely. Part of it. But uh, but that's all I have on that. So anything else people want to throw in? Yeah, I yeah, will say the 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 win by any means necessary also is very much a, a Wall Street thing, right? And um, you know, one of the through lines, of course, Bob Roberts, we should mention, um, in addition to being a folk singer, is also a trader. Oh yeah. And we haven't even like, talked about that at campaign, all. That's his key. campaign bus doubles as a delightful trading, like mobile trading floor. And, you know, there's all sorts of implications of, you know, SNL fraud and uh savings and loans fraud. Um uh yeah not saturday not night Light. live yeah um <laughs> which is what you know, bugs insider, is to uh nail insider trading yes absolutely yeah. linton uh inside you know nailing him on the the snl fraud scheme misappropriating funds so i mean it's very much like a you know smorgasbord of of white color crimes um there but yeah that that's like very much like the 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 ruthlessness of the the political game i think is is really coming out i also really wanted to touch on not just the parallels with donald trump but the parallels to uh the fan base um, oh, that yeah. i think is really important i think that's what made it so that tim robbins could see kind of this this line of thinking happening um there's a point where uh, the character, Lynn, Lynn Thigpen's character, her name is Kelly. She uh, refers to how uh, Bob Roberts is painting himself as a rebel conservative and taking the yes. mindset of a free thinking rebel, turning it on itself. And now he's a rebel conservative and how that's what people are really responding to um, and how it doesn't even make sense. The people who love him, love him for things that are antithetical to him in a way. Let me find, I have notes where, uh, okay, first of all, Jack Black, terrifying in this film. Like if oh, yeah. I didn't know him as a funny, like haha man, I would be thinking he's like a horror guy. He, the amount of intense staring that he does is so frighteningly uncomfortable. I would never want to see him again if I hadn't already seen him in things. I'm like, oh, Jack Black, he makes me happy. And this, he makes me want to run away and scream. He's terrifying. Jack, but can they never watch, Jack can never watch Jumanji the same way again after this. Never. And not with the staring. The staring, it will haunt me for all my days. You watch it, people listening, if you haven't seen it, watch it and you'll see his staring from the first moment you see him. He's staring with this true idolization of Bob Roberts and it there are other people doing it in the movie no one like him yeah. it's very impressive good job Jack Black absolutely um, but he is um the documentary filmmaker uh towards the end of the movie interviews him a little bit and he says so why do you like Bob Roberts and he says because he's righteous and he sticks up for you 
I think Jack Black specifically says he believes in America. He believes in making money in being rich. He's not one of those sensitive liberals that makes you feel responsible for everything that's going wrong. Um, and they also say in that same interview, it's the press. They always lie. Like all these, you know, I don't care what you bring up about him. That's negative. The press is lying. Yeah. And it's like the, the highlighting of kind of people who are, you know, decently well off thinking they're the victims and how that is the line that has really gotten Trump and his ilk to rise to power. It's that kind of like, none of this is my fault. It's okay. If I want to be out for me, it's okay. If uh, this land was made for me, it's all about me. Um, and it was, there are multiple instances like that throughout the film of this, like, Oh yeah, I've seen these interviews in real life. This is this interview with a fan of Bob Roberts has been on the news, except they're a fan of Trump. It's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Well, there was there was that cult of personality around Reagan also. And, you know, I mean, there are a lot not, of a lot of similarities that. between Ray, Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump. There there are. But I don't I mean, I didn't I wasn't not none of us were paying attention to politics when he was. I mean, I was a kid when he was still in office and when he initially took office, I wasn't even born. But I I mean. I don't know. I, I I can't imagine that the the fervor that we see with Trump and we see with Bob Roberts was going on with Reagan, though. People idolized him in a way they they liked him a lot. I, I don't I mean, Matt, I, I, unless you are aware of some stuff I'm unaware of, like were are there clips of this level of adoration at the time when he was coming out? I think it was there. I don't think it was I don't think it was quite as extreme certainly mm. as we get with with trump but i think there was enough there for robbins to yeah. pull on okay um yeah, i would almost uh, posit reality, that since Justin... reagan won so easily both times and that his approval rating was so high that there really wasn't a need to whip up the base as strong as trump does and so yeah that personality that cult of personality was there and it was enough to deify him in the gop after he got out of office but yeah it probably could have been there if the elections were closer there just wasn't a need to push that up. Um, one thing that Jack said that I really, really want to run with is um, Jack Black's character um, being, a, being a person of decent means but still feeling slighted. Um, that reminds me a lot from uh, Milton Mayer's book, They mm -hmm. Thought They Were Free, um, about the, um, the various um, little, little men, as they refer to themselves, in the Nazi party, that most of Hitler's support came mm. from people who were small business owners who were worried of becoming poor, of worried of losing their ability to afford luxuries. And so I thought that was a really, a really solid kind of way of looking at it. Yeah. A bit of a second thing though, um, on days when I'm not feeling the complete worst that I possibly could, I um, there's a, uh, a YouTube channel that I watch. I'm not gonna name what it is because they're terrible people, but they do interviews before Trump rallies and they interview <laughs> the people in line. And literally everything that Jack Black's character would say during the documentary felt like I was watching those people today. People with very unclear political views, exactly. but just mm -hmm. love the yeah. fact that they're winning. Yeah, you uh, you mentioned uh, like the Nazi party, and that was one of the uh, remaining notes that I had. Just a small thing. And I assume we probably all picked up on it, but just in case you did. I, I don't know if I picked up on it when I watched it before. So this might have been new for me. But Bob Roberts does a wave at certain points in the film that is absolutely meant to tie into a Nazi salute. 
like he doesn't do a full on Hitler Nazi salute, but he'll like put his hand up like after he's done singing a song, he'll put his hand up and give just this kind of firm little like oh, wave, yeah. wave at the wrist. And he ends in a position that's very similar to a Nazi salute. And you see it early on in the film with Jack Black's character and his two friends who are just basically doing full on Nazi salutes. And you see it just, it's just, it's never addressed by bugs or any of the characters throughout the film. They don't draw super attention to it, but it's there and it's a thread that runs through. And uh, you know, I, I think it's a good addition. We haven't even talked about the, the pride uh, posters that people are carrying all the time uh, in all of Bob Roberts rallies, there are a bunch of white people holding these big signs that say pride. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, that yeah. that's absolutely, absolutely. It's there's a lot of those like subtle, but really not at all subtle nods to it. Like they never come right out and say white power, white pride or anything like that. But they just have they just throw it in there again, kind of a lot like now where it's really obvious well, if you have eyes at all. Yeah. I would say it's much more, much more like, like it's still compared to compared to the 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 Trump, everything around Trump. It's much more dog whistly, but you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, his his trading bus was called the Pride Bus or something like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's there for sure. Uh, only other thing uh, I wanted to bring up, just because it was mentioned in the notes. So Tim Robbins has said that. Uh, this is Spinal Tap is one of his favorite films. So he, in making this a mockumentary, he included, there's a direct reference I caught, but Matt, you might've caught a couple others because it seemed like you alluded to seeing some stuff. So there's one where Tim Robbins gets lost backstage yeah. when he's trying to go on stage to perform <laughs> and Bugs is chasing after him and is trying to interview him. And that's a lot of, we talked about of, uh, Bob Roberts character refusing to answer or saying you you need to be objective and all that kind of stuff that comes out of a sequence where they're in these narrow hallways and he's trying to avoid them and that's directly from this is Spinal Tap where the band gets lost backstage um, but Matt did you see no, any that, others that was the biggest one that was the okay. biggest one for me I mean just the general just the general kind of temperature of the of the um, uh, of the filmmaker of course because I think the filmmaker, it's been a while since I've seen This Is Spinal Tap, but I sure. think the filmmaker in This Is Spinal Tap 2 is also kind of like not really 100% on board with the band. And, oh, yeah. I think yeah. Like Mar- Marty DeBerge is definitely yeah. kind of thinking. He's, he's, he's presented in the film as he's a big fan of their music. But I think over the course of the documentary, he like clearly is aware that they're kind of just a bunch of idiots. And... Yeah. So I think there's that. I think there's that. But yeah, for me, the 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 backstage scene was just was perfect. That actually reminded me of another um, Trump parallel that I don't think you brought up unless I missed it, in which case you can delete this. But uh, <laughs> the tie to beauty pageants yeah like how he would like picture himself he had a bunch of pictures of himself with uh, a bunch of beauty pageants and like had them on the bus and was like backstage and all of those things and i was like ah ah <laughs> miss broken dove yeah yeah yes yes absolutely yes i did not make that connection but uh just full of trump parallels full of yeah. full of it full of horrific horrific trump parallels um yeah one other thing yeah i want to mention the 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 right wing populism, the suffering Pennsylvania working class 
white working class is, you know, that sees Bob Roberts as their savior when obviously, I mean, Bob Roberts does not care about them at all. Just like Donald Trump does not care about them, like from a policy standpoint. Mm hmm. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know if Donald Trump cares about them from a personal standpoint either, man. <laughs> well, he cares about them in the sense that they're the only way he can win. Sure. But it, it, it's all about him. Just like for Bob Roberts, I mean, it's very much, I mean, the gospel of self and the wealth prosperity and all that stuff, all that comes through, through yeah. everything Bob Roberts that is. Yeah, they they interview some people. Uh, they interview the the protesters that we mentioned at one point. Yeah. And they say Bob Roberts is not for the people. He is for himself and the people that make him powerful. Uh, they are going to take all the money that everybody makes for this and just use it for their own benefit. And I was like, yep, that's correct. Yes. One thing, one thing I wish we did see more of is, you know, we talk about, you know, Bob Roberts is a true believer. Um, we talk about Bob Roberts being smart, um, but how much of that is Bob Roberts and how much of that is the Alan Rickman character whose name I can't remember. Like that, that Mr. is Luc Lucius Hart, Lucius Hart. Yeah. Lucas, Lucas Hart. How Hart. much, how much is, how much is that? Um, cause how much is, is he the puppet master behind the scenes? The, um, you know, the Carl Rove or the Dick Cheney to George W. Well, Bush. Well, Gore Vidal does posit the idea that Bob Roberts, he says, he says uh, in the like kind of aftermath interview with that, with his tie unfurled, uh, I don't really know much about him. I don't think I'm supposed to know much about him. He's, he's just kind of a cipher. And uh, at some point I can't, uh, I think it's one of his, one of the protesters compares Bob Roberts to the good piece of meat at the butcher shop that they put out. I loved that. And that, you know, underneath something smells. But yeah, Gorbidal kind of puts out the idea that um, that Bob Roberts, I mean, so several characters do, that Bob Roberts is all there for the razzmatazz and for the show of it. I think that's true to a point, but I don't think he's not like, I mean, this, this is not a character who is uh, who is vicious the way Bob Roberts is, but like, so in say the film Being There, where Chauncey Dover yeah. is obviously like a total innocent, but he is being put out by certain political factions because they latch onto him and they think, you know, this this guy can, this weirdo can win the presidency and everything. So Bob Roberts is not an innocent or not like um, just going along with it. He's he's actively engaged and he's Machiavellian as um, the Lynn character mentions at one point. But I would agree with you, Matt, that yeah, like Alan Rickman's character he's at least a partial puppet master. He, they, mm. they talk about, he funded Bob Roberts initial albums um, that he comments to Ray Weiss's character that he says, uh, Ray Weiss says, what was that? That my dear boy was a gold mine after they see Bob Roberts, yes. like, like perform in some upscale restaurant or something. So yeah, like Alan Rickman's character is definitely recognizing the potential of Roberts, but I don't think Roberts is ever being shown as like along for the ride. He's, he's rare and, and ready to go. And oh, his, sure. his, his active participation in like wall street, like when he's at one point he's talking to the documentarian and basically alluding to, I, I think the idea is that he's alluding to having insider trading information. He's like, there are ways mm -hmm. to know. And you know, he's oh, like, I, I'm not you know, so he like he he's very cagey, but basically that he he was a, a, able to avoid a bad deal that most of the country didn't and that kind of thing. So, yeah, he's he's actively aware would be my interpretation. But, yeah, you're right that uh, Alan Rickman's character is absolutely pushing things along.
Yeah, I don't I don't know if it still fits, but um, I, I think another comparison you can have is just uh, Bob Roberts's ability to do poverty cosplay while living in his palatial mansion in the Philadelphia suburb of Bryn Mawr, that he, like Trump, can pull off that sort of good old boy, I don't need no educated experts to help me out sort of thing that's actually, it's a caricature of poverty itself, but it's what people recognize, and especially if you're going after a middle class who mm -hmm. wants to believe that that's who they are, then it works. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, so let's uh, wrap up and we'll go with would we recommend Bob Roberts? So any closing thoughts you got and would you recommend? I have closing thought um, not to be not to be a stereotype, but I did want to bring up some uh, moments in the film where uh, there's a lot of a lot of sexist stuff that happens in here. Like they hit on like um, Bob Roberts is really pushing we've touched on it white supremacy a lot like those subtle like nods to it but there's also a lot of real sexist stuff that happens too that is just kind of sometimes more subtle and sometimes super not subtle like the one that really got to me was at cutting edge live the snl thing uh the oh, yeah, i think yeah, she yeah. was the assistant director yeah. uh to the uh lauren michaels character uh michael janes i think she was furious about Bob Roberts being there and talking about how he's sowing division and he's causing all of these issues and says all these terrible things and we shouldn't be promoting him on the show. And it's like, she's right. And she she's real angry about it. And it's like, she has a right to be. But one of the campaign managers is yelling about her and says she is loud. She's a loud, abrasive woman and she's rude. And like yeah. just trying to get her to like not even talking to her. He doesn't say it to her. He says it to her boss yeah. trying to get her boss to shut her up. And then later and you're thinking, OK, maybe that the Lorne Michaels character is just trying to like make everybody happy or trying to make it all work. But at one point he in a different room starts yelling at her and they start fighting and he goes, oh, are you having your period? And it was like this incredibly frustrating thing to watch as a woman. She is clearly she's in a position of power she is in these conversations but then suddenly these um politicians come in and start pushing her out and then her boss is suddenly also pushing her out and so she goes out and actually unplugs the power to the show so that he has to stop and she basically quits in that moment she knows she's going to lose her job but it's just like what else is she supposed to right. do like basically taking away all of that from her and there's multiple moments throughout things like that but that was just the one yeah, that was definitely something that was really wonder, very um, intense because at times bob roberts has a co-singer who's uh i believe she's a country singer named uh, kelly willis she's yes. extremely good very good singer far better singer than tib robbins is which i kind of think is yeah. the point and when they sing together it definitely elevates the songs a lot more but there's a moment where uh bob roberts is working on his yeah. uh, brick of a laptop and just typing while she's playing the guitar and singing at him yeah, but I don't think it's a song that they had played before. So I was getting the impression that she's sitting there like working on a song and writing everything out and he's just typing it up and not really doing any of the work at all. And so I kind of got the idea that maybe Bob Roberts actually isn't mm -hmm. writing any of this stuff, that he's just a front man. He's like a Wall Street goon who decided I'm going to be a singer. That'd Didn't really know what to do, but, you know, he has this, he, um, he knows this woman who was um, who was credited as um, Miss Broken Dove, nineteen eighty nine, and is never referred to by name. That's right. Yep. Yeah. 
That's right. She isn't by. She has no name. That's just they refer to her as yeah. that. And Am then I she's always right his, his uh, singing his side piece. Started three years before he started running for office. Or am I just like making that up? Uh, I can't remember the exact date. As far as him typing stuff up, it's possible. You don't see what he's writing, but everyone else in the mm-hmm. bus is doing like his uh, Wall Street stuff. My interpretation was that while she was working on stuff, he was kind of like half-assed singing along mm-hmm. while doing stuff on the market. But you you could be right that, yeah, he could just be lifting stuff straight from her. So it's totally possible. Although... If she was Miss Broken Dove, he wasn't in bed with uh, Lucas Hart and those people until he had a guitar and went to some upscale restaurants. He had to have at least been able to do something to get their attention. Yeah. Uh, But but I think in that scene, though, there's like a a TV in uh, behind them. And I can't remember what's on the news broadcast, but I got the feeling that that she is a character is supposed to be kind of disturbed by some of what is being it's like stuff about his campaign and she doesn't outright say anything she doesn't challenge it but i think you're supposed to get the impression that she's sort of like yeah about some of this Mm -hmm. there are there are a couple scenes where women clearly come out as the voice of reason i mean we've talked a lot about we've talked a lot about for one yeah we've talked a lot about the um the good morning philadelphia um because it's one of the best it, scenes in the it's, movie. It's so good. And it comes out so strong. Um, so good. The cutting room. The chief uh, kicks his ass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the showrunner at Cut, Cutting Edge Live is another one. And then we alluded to her a little bit, but the, the campaign insider yes. where, that has yeah. kind of the b- breakdown there at the end and is clearly not okay with what's going on and leaves so i think she was she was presented as like a true believer for much of the movie she's she's one of his insiders she's helping him pick you know campaign images she's on the phones for wall street stuff so she is very much there so they basically they have one woman on staff and they have one black guy on staff and the black guy uh, gets called out by the Lynn character yes. of why why he's working with Bob Roberts and other characters I think allude to it. And there's one moment when the pageant ladies say something insensitive, but there's yes. I couldn't tell what it was because like you can tell his Fri- it was about fried chicken. Oh yeah, I went back I and rewound not, and listened to it. It was about fried. chicken. I could not hear what it was because I think the pageant winner was black of that of yes. that year, and then so this black character who's been part of the Bob Roberts campaign, he reacts clearly bothered by a remark and you have the the female person, uh, like member of the campaign looks to him kind of like a, oh shit, but I couldn't pick up and there's no subtitles on the DVD or anything. So I couldn't tell, but that woman ends up, she ends up going along with everything until basically they fake Bob Roberts assassination attempt and they're pinning it on bugs and she sort yeah. of has a melt, a drunken meltdown when yeah. they're talking about things, and then she ends up quitting or being fired or whatever, and she won't reveal what's going on to the documentary crew. Yep. But yeah, it's very clear. Like sh- there was a certain line where she's like, "I can't, I can't do this anymore." Yeah. And uh, quick side note: the uh, part where he, g- <laughs> the part where he gets fake shot, is another one of those moments in the film that was extremely actually funny which I know you wouldn't think it would be, but basically his whole team surrounds him and they're freaking out and they pick him up. This man who supposedly was just shot and they 
rush him out of the building. They're carrying him like one person at each limb, like not carrying him well, carrying him very poorly. And then they carry him backwards, upside down, down an escalator. So he's face down and they're all still screaming and everybody's freaking out. It's hilarious. It's like, you don't, you don't carry a gunshot victim through I mean, a lobby a of a hotel. Of like, myself. what are you doing? I mean, yeah. And that's um yeah when you get shot you put all the blood in right the right well that and the, <laughs> note to self never the, get shot around dusty the motorcycle <laughs> crash too they they did the same thing. exactly it was yes hilarious same thing. they're losing their minds yeah is this minor spin out on his motorcycle so minor and what they're screaming rushing over to him like call an ambulance call an ambulance and his uh some of his security guys get guns out and they're aiming at like a field like for no reason oh, just hilarious. other than to do that something was, yeah. it was so good all right, so we'll go with uh, anything to wrap up, and would you recommend, Bob? Um, I think we all deserve to be incredibly furious at uh, Tim Robbins for not warning us harder. This is all on him, and he should be our martyr mm. from here yeah. on out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a really good movie. It's It's not at all what I expected. I honestly was based off of the the caricature that we have of Tim Robbins, I was expecting something very like Oliver Stone decides to make a comedic political film. Um, and what we got was just a, a weirdly broad and nuanced at the same time, really amazing movie. It was, it was pretty fantastic. I thought, uh, real quick before we move on, Dusty, uh, you want to pimp your podcast since it's politically oh, I would themed. Love to. Yeah. Um, I'm the co-host of a podcast called Gadfly. We, um, we cover third parties, French candidates, and just generally weird American electoral history. We just finished our Laura Loomer episode. We're in the middle of our Horace Greeley two-parter. Um, yeah, and so we just do very, very frustrating people for the most part. But if that's what you're into and you want to learn some obscure American history, please feel free to join <laughs> us. All right. Matt? Yeah, uh, so I like this movie. I like this movie. This movie's right up my alley as far as style and themes and everything like that. I would recommend it with a few caveats, like to to someone who is well steeped in like politics and, you know, the political discourse. And I think everything like that, I think they would get the most enjoyment out of it. The general like movie going people, I am not surprised this, you know, movie did not do so well. Um, it is very, you know, niche in its appeal, but if you're the type of person who likes, you know, Christopher in in the Venn diagram of like Christopher Guest <laughs> movies and um like the 538 politics podcast where that overlaps, <laughs> I think the audience would adore this movie. Uh agreed on that. It's I did really enjoy it. Um and it's kind of in my brain on the same shelf as the network mm. in that it's like uh Net network like the 70s movie yeah okay absolutely gotcha. i put it in a similar place um because it's both both of them are like oh i'm uncomfortable with how this turned out to be um truth telling like this is yeah. this is just kind of how things are now uh and they're it's funny but not comedy funny it's it's complicated like yes i would recommend it that's what i'm trying to get at but i would give people a lot of warning first i mean be like okay this is what you're in for this is what it's going to be uh but it was a great movie it was excellent 
I, I liked it very much. And really, I just I want to watch it again for this script. I can't believe, man, Tim Robbins, do more stuff. Come on, man. What are you why are you hiding all your gems? You need to write something about like 2050 so we know what to prepare for. Get it together, man. You have a gift and you are holding back. So if you're listening, Tim Robbins, yeah. to, uh, to my podcast. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I'm basically with everybody on this. Uh, I call it in the notes, a bleak and prescient satire that illustrates how deep the roots of the current conservative movement goes. And I think that that's how I would sum it up best. I think you can see so many parallels to the Tea Party movement and to Trump, um, the, the cult of personality around Trump. And, you know, we highlighted a ton of those as we went along here. But beyond all of that, I mean, and, and obviously, if you are left leaning, you are much more likely to enjoy this movie than right. you yeah, are right leaning. So if, yeah. if, you know, if you're conservative, I don't know that you're going to enjoy this movie much or what it has to say. But I mean, I think the Bob Roberts character and his cronies are depicted as, you know, pretty nakedly villainous and nakedly criminal. So it's it's not just they don't agree with us. It's these are people who are essentially actively criminals and are hijacking a political process and hijacking an election. So, um, you know, so it's hard to say, you know, where you might fall on that. But but even aside from all the political stuff, as Jack said, the script is incredibly smart. The direction is really good. The like cinema verite style is really interesting. I, I would argue, even though the Christopher Guest movies are really good in what they do, this does more with the mockumentary format and mm -hmm. pushes things in ways it's more experimental and bringing in more types of media and ways to depict uh, something to make it feel more like a documentary. Whereas the Christopher Guest movies, a lot of times it's, okay, we sit down with this guy and we give an interview and he's funny. And then we show this dog show or we show, you know, this, this crazy <laughs> play or whatever. And I mean, they're, they're fantastic but I don't think Guest is necessarily trying to emulate a true documentary style a lot of the time, whereas this movie is is very much trying to mm -hmm. feel like a real documentary, and it does it very well. And then we talked about the top, but the songs. The songs are both awful and wonderful. Um, the music itself is great, and then obviously the lyrics are horrible, but if you yep. can you know, approach it from um you know appreciating the satire and the cynicism of what they are attempting to convey and not think about what they are saying as though you actually believed it then you could you know still enjoy them i mean it's the same like if you watch like the colbert rapport you yeah know, we, we, we would watch the colbert rapport and we would enjoy stephen colbert in character even though we know you know much of what he's saying is heinous but we're in on the joke and that's what you know how you can approach these songs and still enjoy them but unfortunately not on vinyl or any other form of uh, media okay so that is bob roberts it is a big recommendation for me i like i said i saw it years ago but re-watching it i was fairly horrified at just how <laughs> um how much it lined up with current politics more so than uh, a face in the crowd Okay, so that is that. The only other things I'll say to wrap up is I haven't been talking about, uh, we do have a Facebook page now and we do have a Twitter page. Um, so Facebook's just Uncanny Cinema, so you should be able to find it through that. 
Uncanny Cinema logo has that uh, neon blue on like a theater marquee. Should be easy to find. And then Uncanny Cinema on Twitter. And I believe the handle is like at Cinema Uncanny. So, so far we haven't You're really- You're not sure though? <laughs> should probably look that up. I don't, I don't, you I don't probably should. Should probably be sure about uh, that. They can just look Uncanny Cinema and find it for the four people listening right now. <laughs> but anyway, so that uh, those are out there. I haven't really been adding other things beyond the films, but I, every time we have a new film, I will update that. We usually have been releasing these on Thursdays and going forward, I'm going to try to do about, do one a week if we can, if I can keep up with that pace. If that's too ambitious, it'll fall back to two a week. But uh, that's the plan. So you can find both of those and keep updated. And then obviously we're on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And then the last thing is I always introduce the next movie that we will be uh, watching and talking about. And that will be The Fall, 2006's The Fall, which has Lee Pace. And it was a recommendation by Jack. And no one, <gasps> no one on the panel will have seen it. So that will be the first time we have all watched a movie where everyone is going in totally cold. So it will be an interesting experience. So we'll be recording that one coming up and then that should be released uh, sometime in the first or second week of November. All right, well, join us next time and go vote. Vote, do it. <laughs>